Please stand and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, speak to all of us here today, that this it, it might be a harder of a word uh, than we're used to hearing, and so I pray that you would soften our hearts to your word, that we would hear it clearly, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. A few weeks ago, we had a very brief uh, a mini-series uh, in the Gospel of Matthew in which we read uh, through the kingdom parables in Matthew 13. In this collection of texts, Jesus uh, shared these allegorical stories, which were teachings about his kingdom to the disciples. Uh, and and uh, what's interesting, though, is that throughout the Gospels, throughout Jesus' ministry, he communicated multiple times in parables. And we sometimes find them in unexpected places. Uh, what's fascinating is that in Matthew 24, Matthew 25, in the middle of his uh, teaching on the judgment of Jerusalem in the first century and the judgment of the entire world at the end of time, all the nations being judged, kind of sandwiched in between these teachings, he has a few different kingdom parables that pop up. At the very beginning in Matthew 24, we hear about servants set over a house and with a master who is gone. And as the master is gone, uh, the servant, a good servant, is faithful and diligent to care for the house. And the wicked one says, my master is delayed. And so he gets drunk and then he beats the other servants. And then the master returns at an hour that he does not expect. Last week, we heard the parable of the ten virgins in which there's basic, the, the kingdom of God is like a, uh, um, a, a marriage um, or a wedding procession. And there's 10 virgins who are, who are in part of this wedding procession, and they're waiting for the bridegroom, who represents Jesus. But he's delayed. And five of them are smart. They're prepped and waiting and ready for him. They have backup oil stocks for if he's delayed, and five are foolish, and they don't have the supplies they need. So when the, the bridegroom comes by and this procession starts, five of them can't make it because they don't have the right materials and they are not part of the wedding, the marriage supper. And then today we hear another parable that Jesus shares that the kingdom of God is like a man going on a journey who calls servants, who calls men and entrusts to them his property while he is gone. And this is what I want to talk about today. And these three different parables get to different aspects of God's coming kingdom in light of the coming judgment of Jerusalem, which was coming for the disciples, and the coming judgment of all the nations, which is coming for all of us in the end. And the main idea is that God's people are in a waiting period. And what are God's people to do in this period of waiting? And this is God's word to us, to all of us here, as we wait for the return of our master, Jesus. The idea being that what we do, what all of us do with our kingdom riches that God has given us, our, the kingdom proclamation itself, the wealth we receive, the places of authority we've been placed in, even our jobs, vocations, and our families, 
All of these things matter. There's an eternal consequence to our present day work. So please join me in the text of Matthew 25. It's found in your Bibles, in your pews. If you're not moving, that means you have the whole text of Scripture memorized. (laughs) Join me in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. We're going to work our way through this text and hear what God has to say to us today. So we hear Jesus begin. He says, it will be like a man. What's it? It's the kingdom of God. Last week, we hear the kingdom of God will be like ten virgins. So he's just reiterating that the kingdom of God will be like a man. The man is Jesus, the master of, a, of, of property. A man going on a journey who called his servants, that's us, servants of the kingdom, slaves of Jesus, and entrusted to them his property. We learn in a few verses that the property he's entrusted us to is um, is represented by talents. A talent in, in, in the biblical context is not a skill set, but it's an insane, immense amount of money. We don't actually know the specific amount. We have some estimates. Uh, one estimate, and this is on the high end, is it's 20 years worth of, of wages for labor. That's a lot of money. So the, the man who's gone on a journey and trusts his servants these talents. To one he gave five talents. To one he gave two. And to another he gave one. To each according to his ability. And the idea of this parable, what, what, what we learn from this is it's not just about money, but it's a share in rule and authority of this master. He has set them over what he would say is a little bit, but talent is a lot. He has set them over these things, and they are on loan. They are stewards of, these, of, of the, this money and authority. For us, we have to ask ourselves, that what invaluable property has Jesus given to us on loan for us to steward wisely and diligently? You know, every good and perfect gift comes from above. God has given us every good thing in our life, and he's given to us these things on loan. They don't actually belong to us in the long run. Our finances, that's a clear application of this. Our places of authority, our workplaces, if you happen to be in government, your literal place of authority. Even our families, my wife, my two girls, they are given to me on loan as wonderful gifts that, in, in the end, they belong to God, and I am called to steward what God has given me wisely and well, to care for these people, this money, these, this place, these, these uh, areas of responsibility. And so we have to ask, what invaluable property has Jesus given to us on loan for, uh, uh, for us to steward wisely and diligently? For, for you, that's your talent. That's what Jesus is talking about. And it's not entirely clear yet, but the question why does does Jesus give us these things is for the kingdom expansion, for us to invest in the kingdom, for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven and to expand into the world. In fact, this is what we hear. 
Eventually, this, this man, as he has entrusted this, these talents, this property to these servants, he goes away. And he who received the five talents went at once, or at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. He invested this, this insane amount of money, and, may, and he doubled it. And same with the second, who had two talents. He invested it and doubled this money, this property. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. As of yet, we don't know why. Was he, we, we might ask, maybe he's planning to steal it. He's going to hide it and steal it and use it for later. Maybe he uh, grew up in the Great Depression, so he thinks he needs to hide it in order for it to be preserved. Or maybe he thinks if he buries it, it'll grow into a tree, like a money tree or something like that. We don't yet know why he's done this. What's his motive? What's he getting at? But then we hear, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. This represents judgment, the final judgment, in which all deeds are exposed and weighed before the master when he returns. And he who received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. Okay, he just unveils what he's done. I actually don't think this servant expected anything from the master. And elsewhere, Jesus speaks of uh, when, when uh, we have done all that we've commanded, he, he says that we should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. So the servant's essentially just doing his duty. Here, I've done what you asked me to do. But what the master says is insightful. He says to both the men who, who invested and doubled the income, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. We hear the, the servant is called good and faithful. What the master is doing is unveiling that what lies within these servants is, is the motive is, um, is faithfulness. So they have a steadfast love, an unwavering faithfulness for their master inwardly. And this manifests itself in outward diligence. You know, last week, Benji spoke about uh, a, a diligent kind of a love, and, 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 and that's contrasted with like a lazy love, slothfulness. These men, inwardly, they had a steadfast love to the master, and it produced an outward diligence with what they, have, um, what, what they had been given. The master has a, a similar response to both men. It's a commendation, a verbal uh, approval. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. But then there's reward. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of of your master. What's really eye-opening is how the master responds to the third servant. He responds the same way to the first two. But we hear about the third servant. He also who had received one talent came forward saying, "Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed." So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. 
So it's pretty insulting to say. Because I knew you just, you were a hard man. You basically took what wasn't yours wherever you went. And so, oh, I was afraid. He uses this as kind of an excuse to explain that he just dug in the ground and hid the talent and did nothing with it. Now, what he does do is he returns it. He says, here, have what belongs to you, after insulting him to his face. But this master answered him, oh, you fearful servant, why, why were you so afraid? No. He peers through the, the lame excuse of being afraid and says, you wicked and slothful servant. This man was evil. And he was also lazy in love. He didn't have a steadfast love to the master. And the master knew it. He lacked diligence. The main concern, which should have been his, was for his master, and it wasn't. He says also, you, reap, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. He's saying, you knew that I was a hard man, so you say, that I take what doesn't belong to me, but what, with what, what does belong to me that I entrusted you with, you should have been faithful with it if, if you actually knew this. He calls him out for also being foolish. If he really knew the master, or even with his, um, his false assumptions of the master, he should have been faithful with the property. The, the, real re, the reality is, is this wicked servant didn't know the master. He had a flawed and warped view of his master, that he was hard, reaping where, you, you ha, where he didn't sow, which the way that the master treats the other servants doesn't really seem to indicate that that's the case. And I think this shows the reality that many people have a very flawed view today of who God is, that he is wrathful and only wrathful, that he's just angry, and oh, if one person sets him off, he's just going to pour out his wrath. He's going to smite him out of existence. The reality is, is God is just, and he will justly judge at the end of the age, but he's also full of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is his character, and it is good. And that's the character of God, of, of Jesus, that we need to have in our own hearts and minds. So the master condemns this guy to his face, exposes this wicked servant, and then he gives a reckoning. In verse 28, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance there's a greater reward so we see for those who have who are more faithful with their talents but the main point is that there is a distinction between those who are faithful to the lord who have steadfast love and unwavering care to their relationship with the master and the one who is faithless. There's a distinction between those who are covenant keepers and covenant breakers. The faithful and the faithless. And then the master, in the end we hear, cast, he says, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus uses this terminology to speak of the permanence of judgment. In fact, just a few verses later, at the end of Matthew 25, the same chapter, we hear Jesus speak of the permanence of the final judgment. These will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There is a permanence to the judgment that comes because of what we've done in the here and now. There is an eternal consequence to our present work. So that's what Jesus is telling us in this parable. That when the master comes, what the servants have done with what the master has given them matters in the end. There's a few things that we learn uh, uh, that, that that Jesus is saying to us today. First off, and this is going to be scary at first, but let me explain. Final judgment is according to works. Now, works, the fruit of our life, they flow out of a living faith. But a trust in Jesus, a true trust in Jesus is an allegiance, a loyalty, and it manifests itself in outward obedience and faithfulness. This we see all throughout the scriptures. We actually don't see otherwise. Jesus speaks about the end. He says, the son of man is to come with his angels and the glory of his father, and then he will repay every man for what he has done in Matthew 16, 27. St. Paul echoes this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive good or evil according to what he has done in the body. And then Jesus says, I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you as your works deserve. Revelation 2, 23. Jesus will judge and weigh the end of time according to our outward deeds, the life that we have lived. Again, it flows from a living faith. This does not contradict that we are saved by grace through faith. But then in the end, our faith will prove itself. But what this means is therefore our works and our life in the here and now, they matter. They matter to God. The property that the King Jesus has entrusted to us are given to us to advance his kingdom. Jesus has given us all kinds of blessings and things in this life, and it's to advance his kingdom. This includes our literal talents, like our skills, okay? Our job our money, our income, our wealth matters. What we do with it can be used to advance the kingdom of God. Our family, our upbringing, these people that, that, we, that we have been given on loan, they matter to King Jesus. And we can advance his kingdom through our families. Our service to other people, the good that we do to others, and then the, what we do with the gospel itself, whether we hide it under a bushel or we proclaim it on the mountaintops to spread the kingdom. These things all matter to Jesus. 
So the question again, I asked it earlier, what good gifts has Jesus granted to you to steward responsibly? Is there anything, one thing that right now is popping into your mind? Take note of that because God could be speaking to you now and highlighting that in your life as something that Jesus has given to you to steward well. But the final point I want to make, and I want to come right back around, is yes, like final judgments according to works, our works in our life matter, but the point is to trust, or, or, or a final point I want to make is to trust in the judge. The judge, the master's character, is compassionate and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving, trusting in him. That's where our works flow from. I don't want you to think, oh gosh, have I, have I done enough good deeds or, or whatnot? That's, that's not the question. The question is if you trust, truly trust and pledge your allegiance to the master, the one who matters. This isn't Islam. We're not trying to have our, out, our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, but to trust the one who is the judge, who will look at us in the end and judge us on judgment day. We're called to know and to trust the Lord Jesus' good character, to know what he has entrusted you and I with, and to live out our duties to him. There is an eternal consequence to our present work. And in the end, in our faithfulness, our loyalty to him, we, we should strive and desire deeply to hear these words from the righteous judge and our master. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.